Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Uh, your job's not done. I'm going to get you, let you get ready to preach, um, and I'm going to read the Bible for us. And so can I get you guys to please open up your Bibles? Uh, we have a, a long passage for us today, so you're going to have to sit there and, um, yeah, bear with me. Uh, the passage for today is found in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 10. And we're going to be reading uh, through chapter 10 into chapter 11, verse 18. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 11, verse 18. Please follow along. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among these who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted, to eat some, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with, with or to visit an, anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers has been heard, and your arms have been remembered before God. 
Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house, for, house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have, you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, from the, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to, re to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized, criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained, explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment... Three men arrived at the house in which we were, we were sent to me from Caesarea. And, spirit, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he, told, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the Word of God.
So good to be here with you all today. Uh, looking around, I'm just so glad because our church started uh, in a gym just like this, in a school hall just like this. We've moved into a, an established church building right now, but I kind of miss uh, meeting on what you might consider neutral space. Uh, this is a great place to be bringing your friends, a great place uh, to be inviting your non-Christian friends to be hearing the gospel as well. Uh, let me... Um, as I said before, my family grew up in Malaysia, so once a year or so I tend to go back. Uh, and a few years ago, I went back and visited my friend's church. Uh, and my friend's friend there uh, met me for the first time. Uh, his name is Stanford. His parents clearly had high aspirations for him. Uh, and he asked me the very first question, Adam, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I thought, well, it's good to meet you too. My name's Adam, and that's a very full-on first question. Now, I, I can't remember what I said to him, but let me tell you what I should have told him. I should have said, well, yes, of course, when I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also I was baptised in the Spirit in Acts chapter 10. This, for all of us who are not Jewish, and looking around, I suspect that is most of us, is our Pentecost. This is the moment we were baptised in the Spirit. So let me pray, and then we'll look at God's Word for Gentiles like us. God of the nations, make us a people who preach and live the gospel of your Son, who saves people from every tribe, every language and every culture, all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let me tell you about my friend called Jerry. Uh, Jerry was born in Pakistan to a conservative Muslim family. For his whole life, he grew up believing that Christianity was a religion of the West. And well, in Pakistan, he hated the West. And so he hated Christianity. Well, when Jerry graduated high school, his parents decided to send him to Melbourne, where he would study commerce, hoping that one day he would return to Pakistan to take over the family business. And so Jerry went. But one day, as Jerry was wandering the streets of Melbourne, he stumbled of all places into St. Paul's Anglican Cathedral. He didn't know where he was. He'd never been in a church in his whole life, but he quickly realised that he was standing in a Christian church. And immediately, he wanted to leave. But as he was leaving, before he reached the door, he heard the prayers of the intercessor, Merciful God, we pray for the people of Pakistan. Jerry was amazed. This is what he said to me. He said, Adam, my whole life I thought that Christianity was a religion of the West. I thought that Christians hated my people. I'll tell you what, in Pakistan we never prayed for Christians. But Adam, they prayed for my people. They prayed for my people. You know, in time, Jerry came to hear the gospel, and praise God, he put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked away from Islam, but his family walked away from him. You know, in the years since there, Jerry has actually never returned to his homeland for fear of persecution. His family have disowned him and not spoken to him for six years now. But I'll tell you what, that day, Jerry found salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all started with this one amazing realisation. God has given his son to people from every nation, even to us. 
See, in Acts chapters 10 and 11, the Apostle Luke wants us to be gripped by a vision of God's global gospel plans. He wants us here today to realize that whatever our story, wherever our home, God is inviting us to join his family. He is inviting you to sit at his table. And for those of us who already sit at that table, for those of us who already call Jesus our King, he wants our witness as a church to surprise and even shock the world around us. He wants the world to look at Kingsway and be amazed at what they see. He wants this church, our church, to live as one people gathered from every nation. And that's what we find in the story of Cornelius. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four separate days, four separate days. And we're going to meet an unlikely believer. We're going to see a shocking vision. We're going to hear an unexpected message. And we're going to share in an offensive meal. Four points, an unlikely believer, a shocking vision, an unexpected message, and an offensive meal. Day one, an unlikely believer. Now, many of you would have heard of the name Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler. Uh, during the Holocaust, Schindler famously saved over 1,000 Jewish lives. He protected them in his factories all across Europe. For, for years, this man, he bribed countless Nazi officials to keep his Jewish workers safe from Hitler's concentration camps. But you know what makes this story so amazing? What makes this story so compelling is actually not what Schindler did. It's who Schindler was. You see, Schindler was not a Jew. He was a German. And not just any German, right? No, in 1936, Oscar Schindler joined the Nazi intelligence service. For years, he worked as a spy for Hitler's Third Reich. So, so just think about it, right? The man who saved the Jews from Hitler was himself a German Nazi. Schindler was the most unlikely ally. Well, in Acts chapter 10, we meet the most unlikely believer, and his name is Cornelius. Let me introduce you to him. Cornelius lives in Caesarea. It's the center of the Roman Empire in Judea, a city filled with Gentiles. Unlike the Apostle Peter, he is not a Jew. He is not one of God's ancient people. No, he's an Italian. He is a Gentile, someone who was historically excluded from the people of God. You see, if you were a Jew and you met Cornelius, you would think to yourself, here is a dirty Gentile. He's an unclean person. Oh, but friends, it gets worse. It gets a lot worse. Cornelius, he isn't just any Gentile. No, he's a centurion of the Italian cohort. Just like Schindler, he's a Gentile commander. He's working for the enemy. He's serving a pagan king. But, but look at how Luke describes him in chapter 10, verse 2. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, that is, the Jewish people. And he prayed continually to God. Just think about that. It's absolutely remarkable. Just imagine for a moment. It's World War II. And a Japanese military general not only helps the Chinese people, but pledges allegiance to the emperor of China. 
Now, that's amazing. If you ask my dad, it's, abs- it's an absolute miracle. It's unthinkable. And yet here, we have the commander of an occupying empire worshipping the God of his occupied people. If there ever was an unlikely believer, here he is. And in verses 3 to 6, an angel of God appears and he calls him by name. Cornelius, I have heard your prayers. Now, Now, we don't know what his prayers are, but we know this much. Verse 2 says that Cornelius feared God. He he trusts God. He has a genuine faith in the God of Israel. You see, in his prayer, he's presumably doing what Gentiles have done right throughout the Old Testament. He is calling on the name of the Lord. He's putting his hope in God. You see, he might not know the name of Jesus. Oh, but can I tell you, in a few days, he will. In verse 5, the angel tells him to send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. And that's exactly what he does. So, day one comes to a close. And we begin to wonder, well, if God could accept a man like Cornelius, might he accept me? If God personally called the name of someone so, so unlikely, so excluded, might he call my name as well? You know, last year there was a young man in our church who was so close to following Jesus. But you know what his roadblock was? He came from a non-Christian family. He said to me, Adam, if my family aren't Christians, how how can I be? How can I follow Jesus if my parents don't? I don't know your story. You see, you might come from a family where no one is a Christian. A family steeped in Buddhism. Hinduism or atheism and the thought of being the first and only person to follow Jesus might seem so unbelievable it might even feel like betrayal but friends Cornelius he gives us a hint of hope that God gives his son to people from every nation even to us even to you day one an unlikely believer. Day two, a shocking vision, a shocking vision. Well, the camera, it now zooms out of Caesarea and it pans 50 kilometers down south the coast to Joppa. I want you to imagine, right? It's going to happen in a few moments, in a few hours or so. Imagine that it's midday. Lunch is being prepared. And you, for some reason, are praying on the rooftop. Now, the hot Middle Eastern sun is beating down and hunger is setting in. I don't know if you've been in that situation before. Maybe it's not the hot Middle Eastern sun, but sometimes church can get a bit warm as well. It's approaching midday. You can smell lunch being prepared outside. What happens? Well, here's my confession. I fall asleep. But not so Peter. Instead, he falls into a trance. I don't know if that's any better. But the vision that he sees in verses 11 to 16, can I tell you, It is absolutely shocking. Just imagine, right? The heavens are torn open. A a large sheet descends from the heavens, and on that sheet we find are all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. This sheet, it's, it's not full of food that we would like. No, this is full of filthy food, Gentile food, muggle food, the sort of food that Cornelius would eat. 
Now, you've got to understand, we might look at this and we would see, I mean, as a Chinese person, I see pork and lobster. I'm, I'm, I'm right there, right? But no, not for a Jewish person. They're looking at this sheet and it's, see, it's a Jewish horror movie, right? It's a slaughterhouse. Peter would be looking at this sheet and thinking to himself, that is disgusting. I used to work in a law firm that was full of Jewish lawyers. It was started by uh, Zionist Jews in, in Australia. And one day, my Jewish friend Ben, uh, we had those corporate lunches where they provide all these sandwiches for you, and you're never quite sure what's inside, but they're always quite good. My Jewish friend Ben bit into a ham sandwich. And when he realized what was inside, can I tell you, he spat it out and threw it away. I've never actually seen a look of such disgust before. Two thoughts came into my mind. Number one, great sermon illustration. Number two, number two, that should be my attitude to sin. You see, for my Jewish friend Ben, for many Muslims and for many Hindus as well, there are just some foods that are so unclean that it would be a sin to eat. See, if you eat something unclean, you become someone unclean. So just imagine, right, here is Peter, he sees this sheet full of every sort of unclean Gentile muggle food, and what does God say to him? Eat it. Eat it. What? Are you serious? No, 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 you, the pure and perfect God, want me to eat that filthy food? No, 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 if I ate that food, I would be unclean. I would be as bad as the dirty Gentile. Verse 14, by no means, Lord, not like this, not like this, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. No, I'm a good Jew. I obey the law. I never touch, let alone eat anything unclean. You see, for Peter, I'll tell you what it would feel like. It would feel like God is calling him to sin. It would feel like God is calling him to be just like the Gentiles. It would feel like God is calling him to be just like Cornelius. But three times, not once, not twice, three times, God keeps coming back. And what does he say? What God has made clean, do not call common. Friends, can you see what God is doing here? He is tearing down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. He, he's redrawing the boundary lines of what it means to belong to his people. He is redefining what it means to be clean, pure, and holy. Do you see, friends, what, what makes you part of God's family is not what you eat, it's not what you do, and it's not about the rules that you obey. For a Jew, a Muslim, or a Hindu, no, you are made clean by what you eat. But for us Christians, we are made clean by who we trust. Our souls are cleansed not by food, but by faith. Faith in the one who was stained by our sin and made unclean for us. Jesus has made us totally clean before God. And so now you and I, we are totally free to live for him. Friends, can I tell you, if you're not a Christian, one of the best parts about trusting in Jesus is to live as a Christian is to live in freedom. To live as a Christian is to live in freedom. It's to live free from the expectations of being good enough or clean enough for God. Man, what a heavy burden that's got to be. But you know in your heart of hearts, don't you, that on our own, 
I can never be good enough for God. I can never be clean enough before God. But friends, Jesus died to free us from that burden. He died to wash away our sin, to make us clean before God. You see, whatever you've done that might make you feel dirty and ashamed before God, I want you to know that if you trust in Jesus, he will wash you completely clean. You will be completely free, completely clean to come home to this God. Oh, it's great. To live as a Christian is to live in freedom. But I think we're a bit too much like Peter, aren't we? We're a bit too much like him. We just don't know how to enjoy our freedoms in the gospel. We too easily call impure what God has made clean. We burden each other with the rules and regulations of dead religion all over again. See, I know some of you heard that line, to live as a Christian is to live in freedom, and you might think, well, I'm a Christian, and I don't feel free. Some years ago, I was speaking with a friend who was insisting to me that no Christian should ever drink a drop of alcohol, ever. Now, I can sympathize. I understand why Christians who choose not to drink because they see the abuse of alcohol and the hurt that it's caused to so many people. I I totally understand that. A personal conscience, though, is very different from a religious rule. I inadvertently and accidentally offered my friend a beer. Do you know what he said to me? He said, no, 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 gosh, no, no, no. Adam, are you even Christian? I I would never drink that. And I just thought to myself, well, mate, like, if you're a Christian, but you don't drink, well, what does that make me? Am I clean? Am I one of God's people? Here's what's fascinating, right? In John chapter 2, Jesus describes life with him as a party where the best alcohol is served, and guess what? You're invited to it. And yet, we so easily call impure what God has made clean. We rewrite the guest list to the party as such. But you see, friends, when we exclude people on the basis of food alone, we're actually saying that faith is not enough. We're saying that Jesus' blood is not enough to cleanse us. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not justifying the abuse of alcohol or drunkenness. Not at all. But let me be very clear. It's as if God would approach my friend, pick up the bottle of little creatures, and say, drink it. What you drink doesn't make you clean. It doesn't make you mine. Only the blood of my son. Now, Peter, he he kind of snaps out, he wakes from the vision. Verse 17 says that he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. That's the Bible's way of saying he had no clue. He he doesn't quite get it. Oh, but soon he will, soon he will, right? And right on time, Cornelius' men, they arrive at Peter's house and they say, come with us, come with us to Caesarea. Day three, an unexpected message. Peter and Cornelius, they, they, they finally arrive, his men, they finally arrive in Caesarea. Now, I want you to realize where they're at, right? They're on Gentile territory. Then they enter a Gentile house with a household full of a large gathering of Gentiles. 
You see, just like the unclean food in Peter's dream, these are unclean people, people excluded from the family of God. Verse 28, this is what Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But get this, right? Here it is. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Can you, can you see what's going on here, right? Somewhere along that journey, it just all, it all clicked for Peter. His shocking vision, it wasn't just about food, no, it was about people, right? In verse 15, what did the angel say? What God has made clean do not call common, and we all think he's talking about food. But, but now in verse 28, Peter finally gets it. No, I should not call any person common or unclean. Friends, you see, it's not talking about what we can eat. It's talking about who can be saved. God, he hasn't just cleansed every type of food, though he has, and I praise God for that every day. No, he's cleansed every type of person. He, he's cleansed people of every tongue. He's given his son to people from every tribe. He's included within his family people from every nation. And so, uh, in verses 34 to 43, this is what Peter does. He tells the Gentile household the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's come, to preach the gospels of the Gentiles. But I want you to notice what he's saying. See, in verses 38 to 41, he speaks of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. But he's doing more than just that. It's not as if he's just taking two ways to live and just repeating it verbatim to them. Bad way of doing evangelism anyway, right? No, look at what he's saying. He's telling them the gospel for the salvation of people from every nation. Just look at how he starts, right, in verse 34. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's how he starts. Now look at how he ends in verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Can you see what Peter's doing? From beginning to end, he's bookmarking, he's bookending this gospel presentation. He's saying that the gospel isn't just for one people. No, it's a gospel for all people. If you want to be forgiven of everything you've ever thought, ever felt, or ever done, it doesn't matter where you're from. Your background doesn't matter. Your home doesn't matter. It only matters who you believe. You see, if you believe in Jesus, if you bet your whole life on him, whatever your story and whatever your home, God will do for you what he does in verse 45. He will pour out his spirit on you. He will adopt you into his family. He will make you his own. Chris, can you see it was never about the food? It was always about the people. You and I, we're, we're defined not by the food we eat or the rules we obey. No, we're marked by the Spirit of God. There's the boundary marker of belonging. That's who makes us, that's who makes us part of God's family, the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're not a Christian, don't ever think that your story or your background or your home can ever stop you from following Jesus. Whatever your parents might believe, wherever your family might be from, 
God has torn down that barrier. And now he invites you to join his people. There is no barrier. God doesn't show favoritism. But fellow Christian, if God doesn't show favoritism, the question for us is, do we? Do we? Do we share the gospel with people from every nation? Or do we only share it with people who are just like us? Do we have a heart for mission as big as God's global gospel plans? Or is our evangelism confined to too narrow a people? Let me ask, who is your church trying to reach? Who's Kingsway trying to reach with the gospel? Now, on one level, right, we want to reach people who are just like us. But if you think about it, we're actually best positioned out of anyone else to reach people just like us. We need to bring the gospel to them. And yet, we also need to be reaching people who are nothing like us. Because the gospel is for people from every nation. And in some way, in some form, we want to reflect that reality. We want to declare to the world, God doesn't show favoritism, and neither do we. You know, at Cross and Crown, most of our members at our church are Asian Australian. And we were thinking at the beginning, which missionaries can we support? Where can we send them? And someone was like, ooh, maybe we can send them to like China or Japan. And I'm like, yeah, we could, but it's almost a bit too easy, isn't it? Right, like, don't send it, just go, right? Like, most of you guys love watching anime and reading manga, just like you're there the whole time, just, just go, right? So here's what we decided. We would send missionaries to reach Indigenous Australians with the gospel on an island called Groot Island in the Northern Territory. Can I tell you, it was kind of shocking for our guys they, they kind of didn't know how to think about that. If I can just say this as, as an Asian Australian, Indigenous Australians tend not to be at the forefront of our minds as a culture. Wonderful demonstration of the gospel. I want you to picture it for a moment, right? Just think about it. A group of Asian weaves sitting around the word with our Indigenous brothers and sisters. It's a beautiful picture of eternity, right? Now just imagine it, right? An Indigenous brother and an Asian sister, all gathered around the throne, worshipping Christ as our King. God doesn't show favoritism. And if God has extended his forgiveness to nations like ours, then how much more, how much more should we then extend that same forgiveness to nations abroad? Oh, let's surprise the world with an unexpected message to people from every nation. Finally, finally, day four, an offensive meal, an offensive meal. A few days later, the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem, they hear what's happened in Caesarea. They hear that in chapter 11, verse 1, that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. The Gentiles are just as blessed as we are. Now, now you would think at that moment, right? Gosh, if you were the Jewish Christians, you'd be happy. You'd throw a party. You'd want to zoom in with them, meet them for the first time. You'd be ecstatic for them, wouldn't you? Well, not so the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. No, in Jerusalem, there's a, there's a group called the Circumcision Party. Now, if you're going to start a cult, 
Circumcision party might not be the best term to call it, right? But here's, it is what it is, right? And this group, it's insisting that every Gentile who becomes a Christian, they must be circumcised as a Jew. They're saying, no, Jews are God's real people. And actually, by sharing in a meal with Gentiles, Peter is snitching on the team. Verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, we need to understand, Jewish culture, it's not so different from many Asian cultures. Food is fellowship. There's no clearer way of expressing love than sharing a meal. I've been up here for about nine days now. My friends at other churches in this city have been taking me out and feeding me every single day. I had Izakiah last night. It was great. I'm really full. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's my friend Matt's way of showing, like, we're brothers. We're one. We're family. If I go and invite Peter to my place for dinner, you're more than welcome anytime, brother, right? I'm saying we belong together. We're family. You're one of us. My family just celebrated uh, Lunar New Year a few weeks ago, and we were thinking about who gets to come to the dinner. Well, what does it say if I invite you to my family dinner? It says a lot, doesn't it? I'm saying you are one of us. We belong together. Well, just imagine what it must have looked like for Peter to eat with Gentiles. He is eating unclean food with unclean people. He's bringing the barbarians through the city gates. No, this meal's offensive. It's an affront to everything that is clean and pure. For the circumcision party, Gentiles can be, they can be saved like us, but they've got to stay over there. They can be saved like us, but they can't be one of us. But now here is Peter, eating with filthy Gentiles. And he's not just saying they can be saved like us. No, he's saying that they're one of us. He's saying that we're now one family of people gathered from every nation. And then something really weird happens, right? You might have noticed that in the Bible reading. In verses 4 to 14 in chapter 11, Luke repeats pretty much verbatim what happened in chapter 10. And, and it's not as if he's having a senior's moment. It's not like that moment where I wake up 3 a.m., go down to the kitchen and forget why I'm awake or what I'm there for. That's not what's going on. No, Luke is telling the same story with a different purpose. Let me put it this way, right? If chapter 10 is about the salvation of all people, then chapter 11 is about the inclusion of all people. Chapter 10 is about the mission of God. Chapter 11 is about the people of God. You see, in verse 2, the circumcision party, what do they criticize Peter for? They criticize him for including the Gentiles. But notice what Peter asked in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Oh, it's strong language, isn't it? If I don't eat with Gentile Christians... If I don't treat them as my genuine brothers and sisters, I am standing in God's way. If I divide the church by culture, by race, or by ethnicity, I am standing in God's way. It was offensive to the Jews that Peter shared this Gentile meal. It would be even more offensive to God if he didn't. You see, God has given his one spirit to Jew and Gentile, 
to Asian and Australian, to Chinese and Korean. How then, how then could we refuse fellowship with one another? So the Jews, what do they do? They praise God in verse 18. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Friends, I don't know if you realize this, you and I, we are those dirty Gentiles. We're the filthy muggles. God has given repentance that leads to life, even to us. We Australians and Asians, we were once outside God's people. But God has brought us in through Jesus. And if God has included us by his spirit, how? How in the world could we exclude others who have that same spirit? Friends, our unity as a church affects our mission in the world. Our unity as a church affects our mission in the world. Have you ever realized that how we fellowship inside our church can either stand with God or it can stand against God? And Luke warns us, by your fellowship, do not stand against the Lord. How? How might our churches stand against God today? Well, let me tell you how my church at Cross and Crown in Melbourne might easily stand against God today. We stand against God by only evangelizing people from our own culture. We stand against God by having a cold heart for the unreached peoples of nations other than our own. We stand against God by defining our churches more by culture and less by Christ. We stand against God by welcoming people of other cultures as guests, but not including them as family. Let me ask, if a Christian from a totally different culture were to visit your church, would you love them as much as you love a believer from your own culture? I ask that of my church as well. And I pray, I pray to God we would treat them the same. Brothers and sisters, we must never forget that we are the Gentiles who were once excluded and have now been included. And God calls us to welcome people from every nation, just as God has welcomed us in his son. Well, soon after Jerry became a Christian, let me tell you what happened to him. He married a Dutch Reformed girl. Today, he pastors an Anglican church in Melbourne that reaches Indians, Chinese people, and Africans with the gospel. Jerry's life and ministry is a surprising and even shocking picture of God's global gospel plans. So, let me share with you my prayer for your church. Here's my prayer for Kingsway Evangelical Church. I pray that the mission of your church will reflect that God does not show favoritism, but has a vision for people from every tribe. I pray that the fellowship within your church might show all people that whatever their story and wherever their home, God has sent his son to people from every nation. And I pray that Kingsway Evangelical Church might be a picture of something so surprising, so shocking, so unexpected, maybe even so offensive to our racially divided world, our culturally fractured world, so that the nations might stop. They would stare 
and they would say, wow, wow, even to us, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I'm going to give you a moment to respond in prayer yourselves right now. And after that, I'll close in prayer for us as a church. Father, you know how unworthy we are. You know the double problem that we faced. For not only were we once sinners, we were once excluded from the covenants of promise. We were not only destined for hell, but we were excluded from the people of God. And yet, you sent your spirit to us. You sent your son to us. And you've included even people like us within your family. Give us a heart then that breaks for the nations. Give us a vision then that is as big as your world. Give us hands and feet that will go to every tribe, every nation, and every tongue to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that on that last day, we might gather in the vision of Revelation 7 as every tribe worshiping Christ our King. Make us a people who preach and live the gospel of your Son who saves people from every tribe, every language and every culture. All for Jesus' sake. Amen.